Hey, welcome to another episode of the Northwest MX Podcast. I'm your host, Joey Lancaster. Uh, in this one, I sit down with Dax Simonelli from, uh, well, Bent Lever, from Golden Tire, from Pro Caliber, from Anderson Cycle, from uh, um, Action Motorsports. He's been in, in and around the industry for a long time, been uh, a great friend, and uh, we've, had, uh, we've had a lot of laughs, a lot of laughs uh, in, the, in the industry. So um, if you... Uh, You've probably done something here with uh, Dax, or you've known him, or you've you've seen him smiling, or maybe you've heard him uh, in the pits because he's always got a voice that uh, that uh, is uh, is carries. Let's just say that. So uh, this was a fun one, and uh, yeah, um, enjoy. But real quick, let's thank some of our sponsors. So first off, Fox Racing, their new V3 RS helmet. And uh, this is something that I've been able to test up here in the Northwest before it came out. It just did launch. And their new uh, MIPS Integra system is is a pretty slick system. Um, again, any helmet that you're wearing out there, you should be wearing some sort of a helmet that has some sort of a rotational management system. And that's what the MIPS is. The carbon shell, the speaker uh, recess um, even those off-road guys, it has a hydration system, uh, set up for it. And the coolest part is it comes with all kinds of spare parts with an extra visor, uh, extra cheek pads. So one size thicker and thinner cheek pads along with uh, a mud visor for us up here in the Northwest. So thanks to Fox racing. You can see more at foxracing.com. Of course, our longtime friends, Deval racing, the X shot, whole shot system. Um, <laughs> I've had to borrow one a few times. Um, Garrett actually uh, gave me a fresh one for my uh, KX450, but uh, I used that to grab a few hole shots at last year with the boys up there at the um, Northwest Vet MX Series at Washougal. So thanks to Duvall Racing, and uh, you can f- find out more there at DuvallRacing.com. And again, longtime friends, uh, Fusion Graphics. Um, I always joke that uh, they'll make you look fast even when you're slow. And uh, as the older I get, the slower I will get. So I guess I'm going to have to go grab myself some new Fusion Graphics. So thanks to those guys. Check out FusionGraphics.com. Now, off to the show. No, we're good. <laughs> I was like, you love me? Or, I, mean, I love you? Or? No, um, I'm just, I'm trying to think back. How, how long, how long do we, when did we meet? What, how, how far back do we go here? Because I initially, I, I started working at Pro Caliber 2004. Yep. Before that, I worked. But you're you were at us, uh, not. Act, we're at Action. Action Motorsports. Yeah, from 2004 and five. Right. And then prior to that, it was Anderson Cycle from like 95, 96 on. So. Dude, Anderson Cycle is like a. We could talk about that for probably an hour. Yeah. <laughs> Good old so you, I mean, we every, everyone gets into the motorcycle industry because dirt bikes are cool, right? Yeah. And so that's where you start out. You're racing. You're probably, what, going to Woodland, Washougal, ripping around. Then you decide you're going to go work with Jimmy Anderson, Anderson Cycle. Yeah. <clears throat> Riding PIR and stuff and Washougal for sure. And then was, uh, I don't remember, going to college or something and decided that, yeah, I wanted to work at a bike shop to get a discount. And that's pretty much how it all started. And Jimmy gave you a discount? <laughs> uh, no. No. It actually, you think you end up paying more. Uh, you had no paycheck because they did, uh, they let you charge a charge account and then bill you for it so yeah it's definitely not worth it but in the yeah. end in the end it was cool employee charge at the end means that you owe the company money if More you hours, enjoy yeah if you enjoy what you actually do right so then so we ended up meeting each other if it wasn't in passing like at the track i started working at pro caliber vancouver in at some point around 2004 if i remember right mm-hmm. i came there in 2005 with yeah with jeremy howard and mm-hmm. i was in, in in the back um uh, service rider with Jeremy. Yeah. That's how I, that's how I got launched into the pro Cal and your guys's whole friendship because 
Jeremy, it's you, it's uh, Jason, Chris McCann. Um, there's Steve Peets. Yeah, there's a whole group of you guys that are like kind of like the Vancouver dirt bike club. Yeah, of, I mean Mike what, like, Smith was there at some point. Yeah, I mean yeah. a lot of the yeah the, the, all the employees at that from that era of Andersons are pretty much still around in the moto or in business in some fashion with us. Which right, kind of cool. Right, and we were, well, we were just talking about this. Is Jeremy's actually one I would love to do an interview with, but somehow he is retired. Yeah, somehow. <laughs> and all of us are still working. Yeah. And he's retired from the motorcycle industry. But maybe it's because he only ate peanut butter and jelly every day. Pretty much, yeah. Lunch. He grounded pretty hard for the last few years and put oh, yeah. every nickel away. So he's pretty much done. Uh, and the rest of us are still aimlessly walking around the industry trying to figure out how to make it work like Jeremy did, I guess. Right. Yeah. So ProCal brought you in. So, well, I guess you start out with Anderson. That's kind of where you learn the ropes of, say, like a motorcycle shop. Yeah. Right? And that was there's an accessory shop. Was his original one? Was it off of Mill Plane? Originally, it was on <clears throat> down the road here by where my old warehouse was on uh, 112th by Charlie's oh, Bar. Really? Yep. Oh, really? Actually, originally, it was on 4th Plain way back in the day. And then it went to Charlie's, next door to Charlie's Bar on 112th for a long time. And then he moved it down here to 4th Plain, <clears throat> which is directly across from the current Pro Calibre location. Then he bought the old Harley-Davidson building down on 4th Plain, and we moved it down there. And that's where it died, effectively. That's when he closed it down. It was down a lot further down on 4th Plain. Right. So that's where I remember it. Yep. Because we'd go to it every once in a while, being up here, you know, Pro Caliber, around Orchards area, Vancouver. And then, yeah, going down there and seeing it. And seeing. I'm trying to remember a couple of the – well, I think I think that's my, maybe where I met McCann. Because McCann, was he the – who was the last – maybe not. Well, Jason pretty much never quit. He pretty much stayed throughout the whole thing. And okay. then he followed us to action and so on and so forth. But I was one of the last ones standing behind, besides Jason. Because when I left there, I went to action when they set up the new Yamaha dealer. And that was 2003 and four. Okay. So, yeah. I so, think. were you part of were you part of the mall stores in action? Yeah. At the time, that's when they had that idea that they would uh, rent a space in the Vancouver mall. At the time, was where it started. And then right. it, originally, it was just holiday. So they could, they, cause the mall needed, uh, tenants around, you know, short-term tenants around the holidays. So we loaded it up with all kinds of Fox and fly and casual wear and moto gear. It was kind of a cool idea. And then after I left there, they continued it and they got, I can't remember, they had two or three other locations in other malls. They thought it was going to be a good target audience to kind right. of sell apparel, mostly at the apparel right. side of the right. industry. So, yeah. I've, I remember seeing it once. I think it was at the Vancouver mall and yep. I was kind of like, Oh, that's cool. I mean, yeah, more apparel. Like you said, they did have some of the moto stuff, but that didn't really sell. It was more just there to kind of be there, but seemed like the apparel was did decent for him, but yeah. you think that stretched him out too thin a little bit? Um, or it, de- it didn't help. It was really profitable during the holiday time, just like in the power sports industry now. I mean, you have this huge right. push at Christmas time, and then the rest of the year it was just an absolute dud. But they had hired at the time a lady that did apparel buying for some other big companies, and they were focused in malls. Yeah. And so she had that idea, that vision to be able to bring in all the casual wear. And even right. you had Fox and you had Troy Lee, and you had some pretty good brands that had quite a bit of casual at the time. Right. And it wasn't easily accessible like it is today. So it, it was a really good model for them. Um, but overall, their business strategy, just they definitely got a little bit wide. Yeah. And uh, they got chewed up, unfortunately, because it was a really cool company to work for, a great family. It was fun. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I mean, I was younger at the time, but going to all those shops. It was always, it was always cool. Like I did an interview with uh, Sean a while back and how some of that stuff turned into the factory store that was down there off of, uh, in Oregon city mm-hmm. factory, you know, power sports, uh, or motorsports, I guess back then, or, or maybe they just call it factory. Cause Jim now is factory, but factories, yeah. that name is kind of flip flopped around to the power sports industry a lot. But, 
Um, you know, that's kind of who was left standing at the end of the Action Motorsports family. Yeah. And then uh, Mark Miller was there too. Yeah. And Mark had been around forever. So him and one of the other owners put that together, the factory. Dude, I, I still see some Action Motorsports stickers like on some trailers and yep. stuff, like floating oh, yeah. around at the tracks and, you know, cruising around. Like sometimes you just see that trailer that's like sitting on the side of somebody's barn that has the old Action action stickers sitting on it. So, they, yeah, they did a good job. So you – so Anderson – then, um, then action, then action for the Yamaha dealership. So that's when I really, that's when I met you PIR, you were working for action motorsports. Yeah. I was, I was doing some and promo you, stuff. Yep, You were then, doing yeah. promo stuff at PIR back then, you yeah. know, we set up a little trailer, had video games in there. Right. I mean, we're yep. really old school stuff and trying to kind of make it fun at the track, right. get the name out there without it just being another bike shop with a couple of their bikes out front, trying something a little bit different. Yep. So we had so, fun with that. So action goes away. Then, then you, that's when you show up at pro caliber. Yeah, I mean, Action was still around, but I left there, and uh, Pro Calibre at the time was going through a lot of growth, and they needed someone to run their parts department because they had had – Bill McDonald was doing all of it. Right. And uh, Bill's awesome, but he just was like, I can't do both sides of the service and parts. So they hit me up, and I came in there, and I said, yeah, it looks like this would be a lot of fun. And at the time, uh, they had started that renovation on their building they're currently yeah. in. It wasn't very big at the time. They only had half of it. The other half was a thrift way. And so right. I got to be there for that whole project. And then midway through that project, we actually bought the Yamaha dealership from Action during that time that I was there because they, they were over in, in Hazeldale. Yeah, yeah, so they originally right. got that franchise away from Pro Caliber, uh, the opportunity for it. They set it up over there and then Pro Caliber uh, was able to buy that from them. And bring it in house, and so we yeah. were there. That's when you were there. That's when I was there. It was a great time. I mean, a lot of growth, a lot of fun time, spending all their money, and built it in a pretty monstrous footprint. Really, I mean, I think it's one of the larger shops in the Pacific Northwest yeah, as you, far as square footage. I mean, you talk about the growth that was happening at that point. I remember having a conversation with Bill too, and he said that straight up, he goes, "I was getting paid way too much because it had grown so quick." Yes, and so they were just like, "Hey, man, we got to do something different." And he was like, "All right, well, I think I'm going to do something different," you know, because. They were going to change pay scales for everybody because of what how it was built up from their initial beginning it was great for him, right? Because yeah. he was able to like tackle all these problems and build up. You know, he was I think he was the director for parts and service. Yeah, he was, he was the one he that was hired fixed me. Off. So, yeah, he was fixed off, so he did parts and service at the same time. Yeah, he's the one that hired me at uh, at the service counter to be a service writer. And uh, yeah, it's the same thing. But yeah, kill, killer killer guy from the industry, especially at that point, man. It was everything was wide open. I remember yeah. when being a pro caliber rider at that point, you got new tires every time you went to the track. Tor, you know, Torco, I think it was maybe Michelin tires. Torco gave us as much oil as I mean, you might as well just not even run a drain plug. The amount of oil yeah. they were giving us, <laughs> you know. And then uh, um, you had, uh, yeah, I think a couple of. I think it was. It might have been. I can't remember if it was MSR answer or something like that for gear. It was. Uh, yeah, it was both of those actually. Yeah, I think one year it was one. One year it was the um, other. But. But yeah, it was just great, like good support. That's what Bill always wanted to make sure is like, I mean, that's what built kind of like the pro cal team back in the day. Like yeah. that was, a, it was killer back then, you know? Yeah, it was insane. Like we did the first year I was there, we did five X growth on their net profit. So like our pay plans were all built on, you know, gross profit, net profit, all these percentages. And, you know, I was, when I got there, I'm like, yeah, I don't really care about any of that. Just pay me some money and I just want to yeah. do the job. It'll be fun. Well, yeah, at the end of the year we had made such huge strides that yeah, everybody's pay plans were getting changed, but they, they really couldn't keep up with it. I mean, because at the time the industry was, if you remember back then, oh four, oh five, oh six. Right. I mean, it, it, everybody was buying brand new vehicles. Everybody had brand new trucks. I mean, there was just money was flying everywhere, which yeah. just led us right up to 2007. So. Yeah. Well, I remember you I, – I was never a really good numbers guy, but I remember I was selling a bike one time, 
at Pro Calibers by one of my, I think, 2004 CRF250. And a guy came to pick it up there. He gave me like a stack of cash. I couldn't tell you how much I sold it for. I don't know. Let's just call it five grand or who knows what it was, right? And I was like, I kind of counted it. And then you walked up and I was like, hey, dude, uh, I'm going to get the rest of the stuff for this guy. Can you just recount this for me and make sure it's correct? And you just went like, like super quick. And you're like, yep, looks good. And I go, whoa. <laughs> My superpower. <laughs> no, that's, yeah, it's, well, it's, that's when you told me that you had you learned how to uh, count money in the strip club. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, that's pretty much where I learned to count money and do a lot of other things, working for bars. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so that brings us into so we start work. Well, you're in the parts department. You're kind of taking it over. This did they had already gone in and bought the other side of the building, the thriftway. They they had owned it, but we literally did the entire. Uh, remodel and expansion in those two years that you and I, that I was there with you. Yeah. Cause so. we're taking one stuff from one side, go to the other side. And I, I remember being bummed because the, I used to, the thriftway dude that had to get rid of a bunch of the food that was quote unquote at date. Yeah. <laughs> he would be like, Hey, here's a bunch of cookies. Here's a bunch of stuff. And I would fill our break room full of all that stuff in the back, you know, some people are pumped, but so yeah, they leave, we're moving stuff back and forth. Um, and everything. Yeah. kind of gets built up to, I mean, essentially, it's a building that's occupied now yep, by Pro exactly. Caliber, right? Yep. Uh, parts on and one side. And it took like, I think it took like nine months to do that remodel. Yeah. So out of that two years, nine months of it was just total chaos. Yeah. Yeah. So that, so then you're running parts. And what was it? They had brought in somebody. It's like still cur- kind of the current colors. I know they've changed a little bit, but it was, I remember chatting with you one night and you're just yeah. like, let's get, I don't know, just everybody get energy drinks and pizza. We're trying to build this thing out. Everybody stays late tonight type of a deal. And there was some lady from some like. Jennifer from Tucker, Rocky. Oh, so it was Tucker oh, yeah. that came in was like, you need these she was taupe the, colors. She was the design to, expert. Yeah. yeah. Okay. From Tucker. Yeah. And yeah. And, and kind of the build out and like the half wall all the way around the parts department mm-hmm. and like. Grid, you know, we were just. Was it? I thought we were going to do grid, but then it ended up being slat wall, right? Or there's different pockets. That's it was what like it is. pockets, and they had displays on the outside in the showroom where they could feature bikes, and it was cool. I mean, the colors were really, really bad. How, did, how much say? Did, I mean, you were at the parts manager at that time, right? Yeah. yeah. Did they? Did you get any say in that, or mm. it was kind of just like whatever? It was pretty much whatever Jennifer wanted at the time because they brought her in to do that job, and she was really good at it. And she she did a ton of dealerships in Seattle, everywhere in the Northwest. She was pretty. Yeah. Pretty good at that. However, on this particular build, I think it was pretty ugly. I mean, my vision of a power sports dealer is, you know, check, typical stuff, you know, Honda Red, Yamaha Blue, checkerboards everywhere, you know, like kind right. of the old school idea. And she was really trying to bring something a lot more modern to the table. And the floor came out really cool. It was a nightmare project, but it, it came out pretty cool. They stained the whole thing, kind of marbled stain, which was a lot of square footage. But the rest of it wasn't, I don't know, wasn't really my vision of it. But we were, I was allowed to be part of that, which is really cool for me and have some input on the floor layout and things yeah. like that and the flow. And it, we had actually done a semi remodel in the parts department when I first got there to fix because it was a mess. And then we did the addition. And so, yeah, kind of two rounds of remodeling in that building for us in the right. parts department for sure. Right. So it was fun. And then, it's, and then it started, I mean, it started going off. Like it was killer. Like you were at the helm kind of going for it at this point. I'm still working in uh, parts and I'm also still trying to like figure out my racing career and, you know, which I was, I was lucky that, you know, I was able to kind of make my own schedule and travel and, you know, like we were laughing the other day, how somehow we were able to just take the 
pro caliber box van just everywhere yeah <laughs> she's like here's a gas card here's the van like everybody load up and we'd have people sleeping in the back of it heading to you know alderdale, alderdale. Oh, yeah, yeah i used love going to epic. alderdale or or richland or I- any of those tracks you know just like stacking people meet, meeting it in front of pro caliber at like five in the morning you know and loading the thing up and taking off and going out there but um so then at, at some point you came and you came over and like asked me like, Hey, let's get you over here to the parts department. Cause I think they're restructuring service. Yeah. Or pretty much you were, you, you were getting fired. Oh, is no, that when Travis showed up? Uh, no, it was before that, but basically you were like in sales and then you were doing some stuff for service and they're like, yeah, we're going to, we don't, we're going to let Joey go. And I'm like, well, <laughs> like he's a pretty good worker. And they're like, yeah, but we just don't need this guy in our space. And I'm like, well, I'll take him. I mean, I got, yeah, he needs to stay. I mean, you sold it to me. Cause you're yeah. like, I need you. Oh, yeah, I need you. Yeah. <laughs> Well, you were getting fired. I was like, well, hey, you got to keep this kid around. He's a good guy. Like, he's here to work. He's a lot of fun, a lot of energy. And I think that at the time, especially, like, we needed – there was a big push from corporate at that time. Pro Caliber, obviously, owned by Dick Hanna dealership, so there's a lot of corporate overlays. It was yep. my first experience yep. in the corporate world, which did not work for me at all, which yeah. is probably why I ended up leaving. But but during that time, we were trying to still keep it fun and still have this really powerful, awesome company and, and be able to have the amount of brands that we had and all the different accessories and stuff like that. But so we were trying to follow the corporate rules, but right. we still had to keep it fun. And that's where you were like, you bridged that gap with us. So yeah. we still had the fun team, you know? And at the time, I think all those names you mentioned earlier, Chris McCann, Jason Matheny, Shelly Mayers. I mean, there was just a whole crew of people. We had Nate. Right. I, mean, I can't even, I think I had 23 people working in the parts department with cashiers at the time. And it was, it was awesome. It was wild. And that's like, I mean, it's internet was there. So I, I talk about this all the time today at Fox when I'm visiting dealers. Back then we were the professionals, quote unquote, right? Mm-hmm. Because people would come in, this is any shop. People come in and they're like, hey, you know, I want to get that new boot or, hey, I want to get this new tire or, hey, I want to get this whatever. And they ask us legitimately because the internet was still pretty fresh back then. This is going to date the shit out of us. But, I mean, it was – the internet was there. Yeah. You know, people had the – you know, but it just wasn't as searched and widely used now. And the reason why I say that to everybody is if you're behind the counter of a shop now and a guy comes in and says, hey, do you have this new boot or, hey, do you have this new tire – Right there, instead of you going like, yeah, I do. Let me show you what I know about it. You know, it's hard to remember all the bullet points of every single thing that's behind the counter. And to this day, you're lucky that that guy came in and didn't order it online the night before. Guaranteed, he drank six beers last night and he read everything the internet has to offer. He definitely knows more about it than you do. Right? Yeah. So you, it's kind of yeah. You kind of have to like what I kind of teach people is like, Hey, you kind of have to go like, Hey, have you had a chance to look at it yet? Like, what do you know about it yet? And then they'll kind of download a little bit and you can at least prevent you from putting your own foot in your mouth. Like saying that this has, you know, uh, you know, 28 volts when it has 12 volts or whatever, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you're definitely anybody on the parts counter these days is, is outgunned for sure. Cause the customers have access to the information almost faster than in the, if you go just through the industry channels, they're way ahead of us. Yeah. So we have to, you know, obviously be up on it, you know, with social marketing and everything else and paying attention when new products and stuff are coming. But also, like you said, they're just, uh, they have a lot more information the information they've gathered isn't always, it could be six beers deep or it could just be coming right. from a lot of sources. So having a conversation about it, like you said, is the way to go because that gets them talking about what they know about it. And then you can right. kind of put your two cents on it. And at the end of the day, if you have it or you have something similar that you want to sell them, I mean, your job is to move the product. So you have to be able to, yeah, di- you have to be able to be dynamic on the parts. Counter there's something sure. to say about that too, is that yes. you sell the stuff you have too. Yeah, right? you have to, and yeah. so that's the hard part. So you're trying to, t- you're trying to convince this guy that's drank six beers and, 
convinced himself that this is it. And, and he probably does his come wife in. that he can go buy it. Yes. Yeah. And you're like, no, because you have this thing. You yeah. need this, which, you know, it's not like a bad, like, you know, some people like Honda, some people like Yamaha, you know, it could yeah. be like one of those things. Right. But, um, but yeah, it's just, it's interesting how the uh, power sports business is like changed in that way, just because of, you know, the, I mean, the internet, you know, in, in general, like being able to like search that stuff more and more, but, but no, I, I remember being, you know, at the counter with, all, with everybody and yeah, we had a killer time and it was like, people were coming in it's like, what, what can we get you? What's going on? You know? And we were always do, riding or doing, doing whatever, you know? And so that was, when did you, so was, this was up until what, 2007, 2008? Yeah, 2007, basically. The, that was the, the corporate fallout. The, yep. The end of, two, <laughs> the end of 2006 was super awesome. Let's see. Yep. So I turned 30. Yeah. I had my first child. I got fired from Pro Caliber, which we can talk about that. And then I started, within another month, I started Bent Lever Motorsports from an empty building that just was literally just a dirty, empty building. From So how, what, how did the fire, so did you go, you're like, F you, F you, you're cool, I'm out? No, it mostly <laughs> went like, so the pay plan thing was a big issue, which we already knew was going to get changed all the time. Yeah. But they shifted more towards things that were beyond my control. So they started putting more pressure on me for the net profitability of the department, which I have no control over the what what they spend money on at a corporate level. Yeah. So on the gross side of it, I can manage that, you know, our margins, who I'm buying from, so on and so forth. So that was really a bummer. But I didn't really care about the money. And I was 30, and I knew a lot, or I thought I knew a lot, and I was might have been a little bit of a hothead. And so my biggest issue was the management team that they had in place at the time and I didn't get along. Yeah. And then they started to make me be accountable to them. And so it was just mostly it was just a respect thing. And I was 30 and I was like, you know, at the end of the day, I don't really want to continue down this uh, real siloed work environment. Like right. I like to be very dynamic. I like to do a lot of different things at the same time. And so yep. when I realized it was just going to be dollars and cents and grinding every penny and every staple and all that, it really wasn't for me. And I had no intention of starting my own business. I mean, I, I, I'd always had that thought that I wanted to open my own shop, but that wasn't my goal going into having a really good corporate job with full benefits, having a child, right. you know, with my family and Bucket, I didn't need that. Yeah. So yeah, basically <laughs> I train wrecked it on myself because yeah, I was tired of it and I felt like I was being treated poorly. So I basically set it up to where they had no choice to other than let me go. Cause I was pretty good at that. Yeah. And, uh, which I, I really shouldn't have done that. But at any rate, I was out and I'll never forget, like I was in the hospital and, uh, one of the owners, John J. Bush called me and said, Hey, I want to come and talk to you about what's going on. I said, perfect. I'll, I guess I'll come in on my maternity leave. So I yeah. went in and, and, uh, HR was in the room and I'm like, yeah, this is the end of it. So he's like, Hey, we're letting you go. Here's your paperwork <laughs> and stuff. I'm like, cool. I was like, but my trials bike is up in the parts department, you know, cause my bike was at the shop Yeah. and he's like, I'll walk you up. Cause at the time, and it's still this day, the corporate buildings down below. So we have this hundred yard walk and we're walking up there and he's like, you know, you really, I can't have you talk. I go, listen, I'm not saying a word to anybody. I go, but here's the deal, John. I said, I'm going to go up the street and open my own shop. I'm going to kick your ass. <laughs> and like, he looked at me so awesome. So I went in the shop, grabbed my trials bike, pushed it out to my truck, you know, took it home, went back to the hospital with yep. my family. And, uh, yeah. And then I just, I was basically just hanging out for a couple of weeks. That was December. And, uh, actually Bill McDonald called me and said, Hey, there's a building right up the street that's empty and it says yeah. release on it. And I'm like, oh, all right. <laughs> so yeah, I went, we went there and, uh, and really, from that moment on, the rest is history. It was kind of a wild time. But so yeah. that, so that's what that's how Bent Lever starts. Yeah, Bent Lever itself was actually a website that Jason and I created when we worked at Pro Caliber because we needed somewhere people would come in every day. Like, where can we ride? Where's the tracks? Where's the trails? Like, where are these areas? And we would always say, oh, you can go, you know, Woodland, Washougal, so on and so forth, Jones Creek. You've got all these trail areas. Um, yeah. So we made a website. I remember that. Yeah. yeah. And it was just mm -hmm. it, all it was was just hyperlinks and the names of all these places so that we could put it all in one place and be like, hey. 
you go to this website and it's got a link to every trail area and every motocross track. And of course it'll link to their website with their schedules, which people today think that sounds ridiculous. But at the time it didn't exist like it does today with social media and stuff. It just, the information wasn't out there. So, uh, we had to get, you know, a domain name, right? So yeah. Jason and I are sitting there, we're like broken spoke, twisted this, that, you know, like we can't come up with anything that isn't taken and somehow bent lever wasn't taken. Yeah. So I remember Eric Folkstad, I don't know if you remember Eric, yeah, but yeah. he was pretty cool dude. He did a lot of adventure rides and street uh-huh. bike rides. Uh, he helped us, you know, log into a GoDaddy account and buy the domain name. So we did that. So when I started the business, I'm like, well, I already have this website and it's, it's kind of catchy. Like I can call it, I mean, I can call it Simonelli cycle, but that, you know, right, yeah. Anderson's already taken. Right. So, yep. and it, and it had a low alphabet number too, which is very important because at the time yellow pages ads was, was one of the primary ways you advertise yep. locally. So Anderson, anything with an A was good. Yep. Um, well, yeah. That's so, why a one, a one plumbing, a one electrical, a yes. one. And so for me, whatever. I was like, well, it's, it starts with the B it's close enough. Um, and I already have the name, so we'll just go with it. So perfect. Yeah, that's where it started. I remember. I, I remember that now. I was when I was just thinking about asking you that. I was like, man, I don't remember the how the bent lever came apart. Me, me and James used to call it crooked pulley. <laughs> oh, it was everything. Anything you can think of. And actually, in hindsight, I could have come up with a much better name. But I mean, that's any name. Yeah. Like, you know, like I always think about like Fox Racing, right? It's obviously it was the last name of the family, but you know, you used to a Cherbies. Like you, just, yeah. you throw out whatever, like we're, you know, it's like it's, a name is only what it is until the products or the people create, you know, the, the heritage of whatever it is, you know, to make it like that iconic, you know, brand yeah. or location or whatever. Well, it's relevant, right? I mean, every, every dirt biker, guy's got a bent lever laying around or, you know, you've yeah. always crashed and stuff. So it, it made sense at the time and it was cool. And like I said, we went over and found that building and it was literally, it was a, it was a body. Let's see. What was it? Company did auto body painting, and this was their sanding room for body work. So oh, literally, really? it was filth, like quarter inch black filth in this building. And uh, I remember I went in there, and I was like, "All right, like here's the lease." I talked to the guy, I went and sat at some local diner with some guy that had the pro- the uh, building, you know, all the different spaces in there. It's kind of a uh, you know bunch of different companies in one building. So, anyways, uh, he says, "Yeah, I think I could probably lease this to you. It'll be X amount." I'm like, "All right." So I go in there and, and write him a check and I go in there and I'm looking around and it's just filthy. And I'm like, you know, there's water here. I think all I'll do is I'll get a garden hose out and I'll hose down the walls and the ceiling. <laughs> now, obviously it's a bad idea, but in my mind, it was like, this is how we're going to clean this place up. Right. So I fire up the hose and I'm spraying up at the ceiling and all of a sudden there's sparks, like arcs of sparks and snap loud sounds like I'm going to die. <laughs> and the people that left it cut all the light fixtures down and just left the wires hanging. And, really? then, and, the, and of course, the breaker panels were on because I didn't think to look at it. Right. So I'm standing in water, squirting water <laughs> at hot waters that were cut off. <laughs> and then I'm squeegeeing out the floor outside and cleaning it up. And I mean, it was an absolute mess. And then uh, John Sheriff's good friend of mine. He's a moto guy from back in the day. He came over. Uh, he wasn't working at the time. And he was a cabinet installer by trade. Yeah. So he was handy with the saw. And we built parts counter and did all that stuff with Jason. And so right. anyways, I stole Jason. That's how bent lever starts. That's how bent lever starts. almost electrocuting yourself. Yep. And probably breaking a lot of EPA laws, <laughs> lots of them. But uh, yeah. And then I stole Jason from ProCal because he had my old job when I left because he was my assistant manager. And I said, hey, listen, I got this really good idea. We'll go start our own bike shop. It'll be a lot of fun. And uh, I'll buy a couple. I, I actually bought him two Yamahas to race because he wanted to race off-road. So you <clears throat> yeah, so you, you get told to leave. Yep. Then how long between you leaving and you kind of hitting up Jason there? Oh, probably like two weeks. So Jason was only manager for two weeks, maybe a month. Well, I left him there because I couldn't afford him until I got the shop open. Right. We opened March one. Okay. Of 2007. Yeah. So this was like, I mean, I got can't, let's say I got can on December 
See, my daughter was born the 20th. So say it's the 22nd. It's a yeah. Christmas, right? I mean, for right. Christmas. So that next week, first week of January, I find the building. It takes me a couple of weeks to get something together. So, right. yeah, we're, we're, we're in there um, working on it. Jason's working at Pro Calories, coming over at night and helping me with it. Yeah. Like, literally for the first, you know, six-week time that we had to get it up and running. Because uh-huh. I had a goal, you know, March 1st, which we did. We opened, like, on the perfect night. time. Actually, right. I have uh, – yeah, I'll show you later. But in this drawer, I have our first dollar. Oh, really? I saved it, yeah. And then when I sold it, yeah, we'll get into that. you remember that, what yeah. the sale was for the first product? Nah, no, we probably made it up. I don't know. Yeah. I probably bought a sticker. I'm sure it was a sticker from the sticker case. There you go. Yeah, it had to be. Because, I mean, what's, what's a dollar, right? Right. Yeah. Right. So we did that. Um, yeah, and we opened on the 1st of March, 2007. Yeah, because – so you, you took – so you leave. You take Jason, who, yep. who's – you know, talented behind the counter, right? Absolutely, yeah. Then you take Dave, who was the number one guy in service. In service, yeah. So we decided to do service yeah. because we got this wild hair. So I called Dave up, Dave Jones. Yep, and so, said, uh, "Hey, I got a great idea for you. How happy are you there?" I mean, yeah. that's actually probably one of my biggest talents is recruiting people from other dirt bike shops because right. no one's ever happy, right? Yeah. And there's always some problem, and there's always some idea that oh, this will be a fun place. You know, you can drink Coors Light in the back. You know, like yeah. all the things that we want to do and just really enjoy well, ourselves. Well, yeah, I on. think I think the motorcycle industry itself is everybody is independent. That's yes. why we ride motorcycles, yeah. right? So as soon as you start working for somebody else, you just assume like ah, but I could do this because you're just independently driven that every dirt biker is it's, it's a racer you know yeah sure and then you and then you also think like oh well i i'd like to set my bike up different you know i.e like my part you know parts department different or my service department different or you just think you know like you know sometimes those costs of like the back end go away and you're like i could kill it and do this yes. and then that that brings you to maybe either your own shop or it takes you to like another shop and then it's just like the roundy round i call it, it's like the daytime television show of <laughs> yeah of the motorcycle industry you know yeah it's pretty hard like well a couple things one yeah everyone has their own ideas on stuff but also like we work in these shops when you work at the shop level like you do it because it's fun like it's your passion yeah. most, most people not everyone of course but for most of us we're either riders right. or you know we ride you know ATVs of the dunes or whatever side by sides whatever you're into and so it's like uh, it's what you're into and you get to do it for work so it's fun like we mm-hmm. only work here because it's fun like what we do here every day is an absolute blast I mean we deal with a lot of problems but we're still here we come to work every day because it's, it's an enjoyable environment you know for the most part so I think that a lot of people stay in this industry because of that, because they're not real jobs. I mean, mm-hmm. mo- most of us in this space don't have, you know, what we consider a real job. Right. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so, so, and everyone does have kind of their own idea. Like a lot of people that are in the power sport industry, uh, especially at like ownership or management levels, they're very much entrepreneurs and they're very much, you know, either racer background or they're just that kind of a person is driven to try to, you know, we could do it better or we can make improvements like, like you said, or we can right. set it up a little bit different. Um, and the industry lends itself to that because it's a, it's pretty much a bunch of cowboys out there running around, you know, wild west. Yeah. It's the wild west. <laughs> so you, if you, if you're driven and you have an idea and you have some money, you can, you can try it. It's pretty right. easy to get in. Yeah. So Bent Lever gets off and real. Did Jay Bush ever hit you back up after that? Like, I didn't think you were serious, man. <laughs> no, no. But you know, we had a really good relationship. John's actually, he's a great no, yes, being. He's, he's yeah, cool. he's awesome. Yeah, he's and cool so guy. like he was he was super good with it. Um yeah, and then they at the time we had built such a monster for them that they just thought they couldn't die. I mean, they were just absolutely crushing it. They, yeah. Some of the biggest days in the power sport industry in the parts department was were when I was there and then when I left, it kept rolling because we had as a team we'd put together just an amazing right. opportunity. So, yeah. yeah, they 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 paid us no mind, which was good for us because they were so big and we were so hyper focused on off-road and moto. And yeah. That's because that's kind of what our core competency was. So, it's super easy. And so like I said, we decided to do service, so we, you know, going over there and talking to Dave. He's amazingly talented technician 
and um, and he likes to have fun. So it was pretty easy. It was a pretty easy sell. And he big came bore. to work for us. Yeah, big bore. He came to work for <laughs> us, and you know, to this day, I can say that. Uh, no matter how many leftover parts were on that bench when he got done with the motor, they always ran perfect. <laughs> and he may have not changed every seal like he was supposed to, but he was really talented at putting, taking apart stuff and putting it back together and having it be right. So yeah, yeah he was good. And he, good. so I know the the history of bent levers that at a certain point, the service department goes away. Was that you or is that when Jason took no. over? Oh, I got rid of the service department because we brought in uh, suspension tech. That's right. Okay. Yep. Promotion suspension. Yep. Dave Taxel, promotion yep. suspension came on, came in house. He was out of his house, literally. Yeah. Right. And so we, we had freed up. This, the service problem was, uh, was it insurance wise or it was insurance. Yeah. Garage keeper, super expensive. It was, uh, very seasonal. So you're carrying Dave through the winter when there really wasn't a lot of work to do. Right. Um, and you know, at five, 10% it was Dave. I mean, he's just, he's an awesome guy, but yeah. You know, He's hard to employ. Like a lot of people, he's just driven to do his own thing, and sometimes I want him to do other things. And so, right. but at the end of the day, it was mostly the insurance and just the load of, you know, broken. You know, in service, I always say this in the motorcycle shop. You know, like parts is your core, sales is cool, and service is a you know kind of a necessary evil. It's really hard to make money, and when people come in, they're typically pissed to start. Their bike's broken, or their yeah. thing isn't working. And so it's a very difficult way to make a living. It's not much fun. I mean, I, I don't really enjoy the service side of it. I've done it a bunch, but it's much more fun to sell people parts and accessories for the things that they're able to use that weekend right? as opposed to trying to figure out what's wrong with it and then time delays and so on and so forth. Well, and so. suspension and engine building for that matter too. There's yes. a different type. There's my engine is broken. I just want it to work. And then there's my, I want my engine to go really fast. Yeah. And that know? part's fun. Yeah. 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 So, but then there's a flip-flop of like you might dump a bunch of money into somebody's engine, say it's going to be fast and they go ride it. They're like, I don't know. It's going to be a lot fast. Or the suspension side, right? I mean, this is every suspension oh, builder yeah. till the, you know, since it was, suspension was invented, you know, it's like, one, you ask 10 dudes who the best suspension guy is, and they're going to give you 13 different answers, exactly. <laughs> you know? <laughs> oh, yeah. Every, right. Most guys have two, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, this is my off-road guy. This is my moto guy. Or this is the guy I like, you know, six months This is the guy I year. like, and this is the guy that does good suspension. <laughs> yeah. So I kind of let him do one of each bike because right. I have friends. But yeah. that's the hard part is yeah. the suspension, right? It's just – it's literally – it's like the beauty is in the eye of the beholder type of say on the bike, right? Like it's mm-hmm. going to feel different to everybody. And I always say that like a suspension, it's just like – Man, like it's not a, it's not like you're saying parts counter. Hey, here's the part you need. Yep. Thanks for coming in. It's yep. like, hey, here's the suspension. I did my best to set it up the way I think it should be. Don't forget to use a flat blade screwdriver. There's clickers all over this thing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, that's definitely a challenging part of it. Dave did a really good job though, I think, because he 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 fit in with what we were doing, which is kind of the everyday rider. Yeah, we weren't really catering to, to high end racers or people that didn't know anything. We were more. You know, the, the core Enthusiast. group of people. Yeah. But yeah. people that ride all the time and they, maybe they're not great at riding, but they enjoy it. So they, right. they would, they would get the benefit of like a suspension, you know, when you take a stock bike, um, and you are able to, you know, spring it for its weight or whatever. I mean, some bikes, certain years, obviously they were terrible, right? I mean, right. the whole era, I mean, we've been in the business for 25 years. Like nowadays you can pretty much ride factory stock suspension, right? Yeah. Some guys do that. Oh yeah, I, well, and, I, uh, <laughs> like you and uh, and other guys that we know real well. Jason might have you know say three, four, five sets of five thousand dollars suspension and still can't you know hang. So well, uh, that, that's I think that's how I grew up though. I grew yeah. up on riding whatever I could find. And that's the funny thing is yeah. that's what Jason rode too. Like we rode XR two fifties right yeah. at a fairly competitive level, off road racing. So 
back, I can remember 93, Jeremy had a 93 Sierra 25, and the forks were so soft that if I rode it, it bottomed on everything. Yeah. But the shock was super stiff, and it had Showa forks, I think, in Kiaba or shock. Like, back in the day, everything was so mismatched because it was just really, I, I don't really know why. But now, things are so good out of the box. So my, my yeah. analogy is in 2000, as my first new bike, it's a 2000 Sierra 125. I go to Mountain View fall over it might have been like first practice ride or whatever mm -hmm. one of the first rides because i still have the steel bars those steel gray bars oh, yeah. that came came on the hondas right bent them and i'm just like oh i got new bars i gotta put all this stuff on i do all this and this other dude rolls up and he's on a brand new same year 2000 cr250 stock everything right and he's had this thing for a while now and he get, gets off and i'm talking with him he's like or you, he might say like what are you doing i was like oh, i need to put on some aluminum bars and you do this i go dude i can't believe you're still running those stock grips there's like those like vulcanized honda grips right oh, yeah. i can't believe you're running those stock grips i can't believe you're running those stock bars and like dude it looks like you haven't changed nothing on this thing like how can you run that thing stock and he looks at me and he goes this is way better than my 78 Mako. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and the point being, it's like, I've made it to that. I've made it to that guy, yeah. right? Where now the bikes are so good, they're way better than my 2000 CR125, right? Yeah. They're coming with bigger size handlebars. This, to your point, the suspension's pretty dialed in to where I'm more of like, if I, you know, a, kind of like grips and bars, I'll f figure out like the setting there. If I can make the bike just balanced. Even if it's if it's too soft or too stiff for me, as long as it's balanced and I know it's not going to do anything weird, like you know the, the rear end's way too you know soft and the front end's you know deflecting off of stuff. But if I can just balance it out to where it's somewhat even, like I'm good. Yeah. Especially with the stuff now, and that's kind of what led to like this summer's battle with Jason, which I should probably do a podcast with him just to talk about the summer. <laughs> yeah, you definitely need to do that. It was Off road. A, that was a really awesome. It was fun adventure that you guys had all summer. Yeah, it was yeah. great. Um, so then. So you start in, you said March 1, 2007, yep. right? So then that gets bent lever off and running. You're catering to like your everyday uh, enthusiast, like dirt bike riders and you know, a little bit of everything. But, um, and then that, I mean, what Jason comes in there, uh, uh, Dave's in there and you're just moving for a while. Do you remember like how, how much inventory did you bring? Like what was your, what was your budget to like oh, open yeah. up the doors? No, Do you I, remember had, how I had much 80 grand. $80,000. Was that everything, everything. or that's, just that's that's everything. everything? And back then, the computer system that we used for point of sale was really expensive. Yeah. It was like sixteen grand for the system to be able to run um, Comptron, which people laugh at today, but I could still I still guarantee you that if I ran a parts department on Comptron, I could smoke any other POS that's out there because it's yeah. just old school, like not even MS-DOS. It was, uh, what was the platform it sat on? I can't remember. It was something else, but it's all command-based. Right, we're yeah. talking like, yeah, all the function keys came into play. All well, that that's, stuff, so. what was Reynolds and Reynolds? That was wasn't that Reynolds and Pro Reynolds was, was was Pro Calibre had that yeah similar from the automotive side. Yeah. So it's very similar. Um, right. Yeah, not a lot of features, yeah. but it worked, and so yeah. Um, yeah, it worked really good for what we were doing. But at the time, that was a huge expense. Like that was my biggest expense probably to get started. And then I spent, you know, who knows? I probably spent ten grand on you know the parts counter, the wall, and I had to buy a tire machine, you know, and that was right. you know three four grand. So basically, I think I had like. 35, 40 grand worth of parts and accessories to start. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And we built that up, you know, over time, but that was it. Like I started, that was my last, I, I, I think it was 70 grand, but it might've been 80. I think it was 80, but it was like, that's everything that I had. And I just had a baby. Yeah. And I had a family and it was like, I'm going to take everything that we have. I'm going to go open a dirt bike shop. So, yeah. And, uh, and, we, and that's what we did. Dice. 
killer. And I mean, my wife did the books at the time and she was down there with a, you know, brand new baby, you know, right. had a desk set up in the back. So it was, it was a, it was a really fun time until it wasn't because it was 2007. And if you remember what happened in 2007, like the entire oh, yeah. world came to a yep. screeching halt. So yep. that was definitely the worst time to start a new business that you could do it. Right. Yeah. And so you're just scraping through those years. Yep. Um, cause that was my, that was when I was working for rockstar and we, I, we, me and James would always come by and like, I'd always try to buy as much stuff from you, you know, at the time when I was yeah. still trying to ride and, and, uh, so then that leads up to when, when do you end up deciding or what, what was your deciding factor to walk away? And well, did Jason come to you? And no, was like, hey, I mean, we had you... kind of talked about it a couple of times of me getting out and him taking it over. And I was like, uh, in fact, his business partner at the time was Don Baseflug and him and Don had gone to them a couple of times and said, Hey guys, like, I, I, I'm going to get out because uh, my family doesn't really like this business. It's not really working for us and it's not profitable enough for it to just be an adventure for me. I need, you know, figure out some more stuff in life. And so they took a look at it a couple different times. And in the end, I was like, I came to Jason. It was probably coming into November because that's when the end of the end of yeah. the year is for us, basically. Yeah. And I said, here's the deal. I said, I'm closing it down. I'm either going to close the doors and sell everything off. Mm-hmm. Or you can go back to Dawn and you guys can come up with just, you know, basically a very small amount of money and you can buy me out and I'll sell you this place. Just turn key. And at the time, he's looking at me because he really wanted it. Because just like you were saying earlier, at some point, you know you can do better than that last guy, right? And he knew in his heart right. that he could make that company a lot better than what I had done because I was burnt. I was done. Like I, and he just had that all that drive. And so he's, I look, I'm looking at his eyes, and he wants to say yes, but of course, he doesn't have any money because, I mean, he's working for me, right? He's making like three grand a month or whatever, riding dirt bikes. Yeah. And I looked at him. I said, here's the deal. I says, you go get half the money from Don, which at the time, I, I don't know, let's say it was 80 grand. It was like 80 grand. It was whatever the inventory was. I figured yeah. I was just going to close the doors and sell it off. I said, you go get 50, I think it was 100. You go get 50 grand from Don. I'll give you the other 50. You just pay me later. Like when you get some money, you send me some money. Yeah. So I staked him in the thing, right? <laughs> so here's this, here's Jason. <laughs> and I don't know how old he was at the time, but uh, it was like 2014, I think. I don't remember the so exact year. I think it's 14 or 13 so or something. So 10 years ago? Yeah. And I'm like, I'm like, here you go, kid. Like I'll stake you in it. So he was 30. You get, you get the money. Yeah, he was. Yeah, yeah. No, that's right. He was like, same as me, right? Getting yep. into it at 30. I said, you take this thing and just hold it wide open and you'll, you'll do good. You know? And he's like, all right. So he buys it from me. Don gives me half the money. And, uh, yeah, we wrote up a deal and off I went and, uh, yeah. And then him, uh, and his wife and his family and all the supporters, like he got, he rallied a lot of people and he put a lot of energy into the company for the first couple of years at a very grassroots off-road moto level oh, yeah. race teams. Yep. I mean, remember he was doing PRO sponsorships. Yeah, so I was that tra- traveled with him a little yeah. bit in the, in the RV. Yeah. Which is what you have to do, right? I mean, you have to grind really hard when you first either start a company or buy a company and put a lot of energy into it. Right. So yeah. And that's what they did. And, and they so did you, a really good you job. leave the industry I'm out. for a while, right? Yeah. I went out, I actually got a call from somebody that I knew actually Shelly who worked with us at pro caliber. Yep. She's a software development company and said, we need a sales guy over here and you can sell anything to anybody. And I said, I know nothing about software. I don't even really know how to use an email account to be honest <laughs> with you. She's like, ah, you'll be fine. So I went and did that for two. Yeah. About two years. I went yeah. and developed. Yeah. Time management. Let's see. What was it? Time waste management software, which yeah. is what it started out with, and they were trying to pioneer. And they had some other products that they sold this company. So yeah, I spent a couple of years doing that. Yeah, um, yeah, it it was a nice, easy corporate again corporate job. But right. software development or software companies are really unique because they have usually tons of capital investment. So very rich people that dump money into this idea that it might work, right. and they don't seem to care. Mm-hmm. So we we spent a lot of their money on a lot of fun stuff. <laughs> we went out right. a lot of drinks, a lot of dinners, a lot of just 
taking swings at things. And, uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun. I had a good time. Yeah. So then Jason's going crazy. Yep. And he's, uh, at this point, he's just dabbling in e-com stuff, right? At that point? Yeah. And he's just starting to dabble in e-com, yeah. like eBay and Amazon's not even Well, that's where yet. the Jimmy Anderson, Jeremy Howard connection right. comes yep. back in because they were doing eBay. Yep. Um, and not really e-com, just eBay. That was right. basically because Amazon wasn't really it wasn't in play yet. And so they had started to build a pretty powerful company on that platform. And so that's where Jason was just starting to kind of get into that. Yeah. And so then he kind of takes it away. And then you start showing up a little bit more because now you're hot off the 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 uh, information bandwagon of all these <laughs> these uh, computer technology uh, conversations you've been having all day selling stuff like that. And you start to kind of come back in. So then where does that turn into – do you or Jason figures out the golden tire? How's the golden tire thing? How does golden tire ended up? <laughs> how are we in a bent lever uh, store and there's and golden tire comes in and you own golden tire now, but Jason brings in you guys go to uh, uh, Italy, uh, yeah, you know drink drink wine and come back and lots of coffees, lots yeah. of little teeny tiny coffees that get you are go so, way too fast on the autobahn. Or yeah, <laughs> oh yeah, God, we'd have a good time in Italy. But about 2016. Jason, well, we had sent Don Baseflug to Erzberg to ride the Erzberg race, right? Yep. First year we sent him over there and he just completely rented a KTM 300 and completely ruined it. He broke every part on the bike, the forks, <laughs> the shock, the frame, just everything. It, it, he didn't even finish, obviously, but he trashed the bike. So he comes back and he wanted to start learning a little bit more how to ride technically. So Jason was helping him because Jason was riding trials at the time. Right. So Don's like, okay, I can't bulldog motocross through this stuff. Right. So he come, So we send him back the next year. And he comes back uh, and ships back all of his stuff, his extra wheels and stuff. And there's golden tires on the bike. And we're like, hey, we sent you with Metzler six day. Like we, we use FIM tires over there. Like we sent you with the right stuff. He goes, no, everyone in Europe runs golden tires. We're like, we haven't even heard of golden tire. We've been doing this forever. Well, they spell tire wrong. Yeah. They, these, <laughs> what are you talking about? So he's like, no, Jarvis and Taddy Blazuziak and everybody, every podium picture, everything, everyone runs golden tire. So Jason, I'm still working software development. He reaches out to them and is like, hey, I want to buy some tires. Well, there was an import on the East Coast. And those guys were the were basically the only game in town. It had been yeah. imported by somebody, Ty Davis at one point, somebody else in Florida. Um, but at this point, it was these guys, uh, GMD over there on the East Coast. And so Jason hits them up and says, I'll buy a pallet or two of these things. They're selling, you know, I, I'm interested. And uh, so he bought a couple of pallets. And he's like, hey, I'll buy a container because I think I can sell these tires. They said, you just call the Italians. Like, we don't want to deal with you. We're over on the East Coast. You know, you can, we'll, we'll make the connection. So Jason gets set up and the guy in Italy, uh, Marco, the owner of the company, really cool guy. He's like, well, he's like, you're on the West and they're on the East. And obviously, if you're willing to stay in your region, like, I can just set you up as a distributor. And Jason's like, all right, well, I guess I'll be a distributor. What does it take? He's like, you just got to buy a container of tires. So Jason gets it. And he calls me up. And at the time, the company I was working for, a software company, had been bought out by, for one of their other products. So yeah. now I'm back on the street again. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, I got this crazy idea. He's like, I'm a distributor for this brand. And like, I'm like, what is it? He's like, they're golden tires. This is off-road, awesome you know, tire. I'm like, I've barely heard of it or anything, only from Don. He's like, no, you, if anybody can do this, you can do it. You want to take a swing at it? I go, eh, I mean, I'm not doing anything today. I'll come by right. and we'll go to lunch or something. So yep. anyway, walk in the door and, and yeah, we had... We had some good products, and they had really good name recognition in Europe, and they had sponsored every factory team yeah. for a long time. Uh, so it was pretty – it wasn't easy by any means, but we, we had something to sell people, right. and it was a good product. So, uh, yeah, so I took that on in 2016, 17-ish. Actually, I think it was 15, 16, 17, all, all through that era when we really kind of started developing it. And, um, yeah, long story short, we basically got it up and running. 
And because of my connections and probably your connections to here locally with motorsport.com, yeah. they're just right across the river. So I went over there one day. I'm like, hey, guys, like I really need help here. I need to be able to put these tires on every doorstep in America because the dealers, no one's heard of it. So right. if, I call, if I call every Husky shop or any KTM shop and I'm like, hey, I'm from Golden Tire, they, they don't know who we are. And it was impossible. So I was like, but I can market on Instagram because Instagram was really raw at the time. It's yeah. super easy, right. very organic at the time. And I'm like, but people want to buy it, or if I get people spun up, they want it, but then I can't get it to their house. And by the time they go to their local shop and ask about it, we might as well forget this. So um, uh, Greg over there, he's like, ah, man, we don't need another tire. I go, listen, this is a high-end tire with high-end clientele, and I'm going to give you all the sales. Like, I'm not going to sell direct. You're just going to take all these sales and all the energy I'm going to put into the brand. I'm just going to ask you to carry some of the product. He's like, yeah, it sounds great. We'll try it. At the same time, I got a call from a guy at Rocky Mountain ATV, like literally that week. He's like, hey, my boss wants these golden tires. And I'm like, okay. And he's like, we could probably even set up and carry them and like sell them. I'm like, yeah, I could probably set you up as a dealer. So all the work I did for Motosport, I had to build like product descriptions and you know, fo- photos of the product, which we didn't have because there weren't any for a lot of the stuff over at all um, for Golden Tire. So we had to do all that. So I built all that stuff up for Motorsport. So I basically sent it to both of them on the same day and they both went live as dealers on the same day and they didn't know about each other because I don't know that they would have done it, right? Right. So now all of a sudden the next day, <laughs> I get, well, let's say a week later, I get a call from the East Coast guys and they're like, hey, what the heck is this? You know, they're like, did you set up Rocky Mountain? And I'm like, well, did you do it? And they're like, no. And I'm like, well, then obviously I did it, right? And they're like, but they're on our, you know, like that's not the Western. I go, well, they're they're located out here. You know, I mean, I can't help it. The fact that those two dot coms have three-day delivery to every house in America right. is a huge launch point for us. So anyways, we did that for a while with them, uh, not really battling with us, but then they decided to bow out and go do something else. And so that basically put us in position to be the, you know, the U.S. you know, distributor for Golden Tire. Right. And then we basically just, broaden that out to North America because I have a, a e-commerce guy up in Canada that actually comes across the border and picks them up. So I don't actually have to export to Canada. He handles the exportation. So, you know, it allowed us to then push to technically every household in Canada as well. Yeah. So yeah, that's, that's what really got us um, the arms of getting the product out there. And then, like I said, Instagram was huge for us back then. And we did a lot of, I don't know. We did, we did a lot of local races, but we also raced Supercross in 2017 on a West coast lights team. So that was kind of wild. And uh, I had a lot of fun with that. So yeah, that's, that's kind of what launched the company. And then from there to here, Jason decided at the end of last year that he wanted to invest more into some other ideas that he has with Ben Lever Motorsports. And since I'd been doing it anyways, he's like, Hey, I'll stake you this time around. (laughs) So he's like, I owe you one from before. So he said, you buy it from me and it's yours. And I said, okay. So yeah. Borrowed some money from Jeremy, <laughs> the retired guy, and said, hey, all right, this sounds great. I'll borrow some money over here and buy this company. So so now I own it. And, I mean, it's been me anyways the whole time. You know, it's a very small team. I shouldn't say it's just me. But um, now I own it. And that's why when you sit and you come into Bent Lever now, you got Bent Lever on one side of the wall and Golden Tire on the other because right. our warehouse is here. And, yeah, that's what we've been doing for the last It's funny years. to me because I always just – you know, we've all been friends for forever now, right? Mm-hmm. And it's just – we're just the – a bunch of buddies that rode dirt bikes and then are part of like a lot of the industry stuff, especially in this area, right. Of, of the Northwest. And, and the, just like that, like, Oh yeah, I'll loan you some money. Cause I did good doing that. Like, you know, I've, I think I've been in, in or around all of those transactions of everybody writing checks to each other. Yeah, for sure. It's been <laughs> trying to, you know, trying to figure it out or whatever. How, so, so inventory wise, like what's a, what's a cost, what's a, 
container tires cost you could be like pulled across the I mean the pond. It, it's basically 80 grand the way depending on what you're buying but it's basically about maybe that's grand. your number that's what yeah. 80 grand 80 grand starting. <laughs> it should be 62 but we pay tariffs now right so but uh yeah it's basically that and there's 1400 pieces in a box and we do about yeah 10 12 containers a year so yeah. it's a very small company um realistically you know compared to any of the other tire manufacturers right. in the US but yeah we just try to keep it we basically started out building works tires for all the factory race teams. So everything was built for Jarvis, for Taddy, for all of them to win the Red Bull Hard Enduro Series. That's the, that was what the company was. We basically just built the finest product that was possible for those guys to go win those races. And that same exact product can be, was also the same product that we sold to the masses in Europe. So when we bring it here, fast forward to today, like we're having our containers manufactured at our facilities and they're coming directly to me. And I'm pretty much the only person in North America. So every tire comes off the truck. I have the guys here help me. But we stack them up. And then when they're sold, I load every box and every pallet. So I touch all tires twice, you know, coming out of the U.S. And, right. So you're yeah. an employee of one. Yep. There are no employees, <laughs> technically. Yeah. No, it's crazy. It's just it's a one-man op and uh, the cell phone and and a warehouse. Yeah. That's Golden Tire for all of North America. It's kind of <laughs> kind of silly to think about it. But really, we had a big impact, too, on Europe. And Australia I had a really good partner that did my job in Australia, David. Um, and he's, uh, he since sold the company and doesn't do it anymore. Um, him and his wife sell makeup, which is awesome. But, uh, they, he, he basically helped with a lot of the marketing material back in the 16, 17, 18 era, supercross team stuff we did up here, but they were running factory KTM off-road teams. So all the factory riders in Australia were on golden at the time. So it was very helpful. And they were testing the product to its edge, you know, down there it's hot and they run, they have this desert race called the Fink where it's just gnarly high speed stuff. And, um, yeah, it's, it's, yeah. it's Australian's version of the Baja 1000s basically. Yeah. It but is. it's gnarlier cause it's higher speed. Like our oh, average, yeah. our average speed here would be like, say like, f- say like 50 prior to the Baja 1000 on a dirt bike, mm-hmm. maybe you know, your average and they could be pushing 80, 90. I mean, it's a lot of hundred mile an hour wide open stuff. It's, it's crazy. Yeah. That's, I mean, the couple years that I raced Baja 1000, I think that's the one thing I remember like pre-running some of the sections I'd get mm-hmm. to some area and I'd be like, how in the hell is a stock Vita bug making it up this hill? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and to your point, it's like you're, you think you see a lot of those Baja videos or trophy trucks are just hauling ass and there's trope whoops and everybody's going 80. Right. But the reality of it is there's a lot of in and outs of the trees and the bushes and the, you know, sand washes and stuff for your, yeah, on a, on a dirt bike, you're, I mean, you're second, third gear, you know, just go blah, 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 yeah. you know, and it's dangerous, right? Rocks. I mean, your oh, goal yeah. is to finish, right? Yeah. Not to go fast. So, I mean, you have to manage that. And there's just a lot of really gnarly terrain. Yeah. In Baja. Um, so here, yeah, I mean, we're in Bent Lever's new location that's not too far from the original location that's still yeah. not too far from Brook Alamer. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the original Anderson cycle, the very original one on fourth point is literally probably quarter mile down the road. Yeah. Yeah. Is it weird for, I mean, you called it earlier saying like you knew Jason was going to take off with the business, but I mean, I know you've seen like, I mean, we're in this big building that he bought, you know, and like the, you know, e-com stuff is, you know, another wild west out of control. He started bentlever.com to try to kind of harness that and be able to control a little bit more of it himself. But, um, is it wild for you to be sit, you know, seeing that the brand that you built kind of take off to where it is now? Yeah, it's pretty crazy. It's crazy. Like yeah. we, I just, I tried to explain it to someone the other day, but and I can't even begin to explain it to people. It'd take us four more hours. But if you think about two guys sitting in a like what it was when and I, there's photos of it out there and I'll, I'll try to figure that out for you. But do you still have the door? Uh, Remember the door, the door to the service that everybody, yeah, autogra- everybody signed it's somewhere. I think it's here. It's upstairs. 
But we, we basically sat in this dirty building that was a body shop and we said, we're going to open a dirt bike shop and in town with, you know, 80 grand. Yeah. And we're going to compete against the, one of the largest power sports dealers in the entire Northwest at Pro Caliber at the time. And then today, fast forward, and we're sitting here in 12,800 square foot building that Jason owns. And we have ridiculous Amazon footprint, monster eBay footprint, which we, you know, basically brought Jeremy's business in. We, we skipped over that part, but basically we merged those two companies right. together. Um, and now we have, you know, a massive eBay presence with Corey running that. And then we have a big Amazon presence. We did start bentlever.com. We got some amazing help from yeah. some guys that were in the industry on that. Um, and then the retail. And it's like, I don't know what there was in here last year. I don't know, two and a half million dollars of the product. It's like, yeah. that's crazy. We, we so, started $30,000 right. Jason was carrying two and a half million last year. So what did, was Jeremy in like the same spot you were like, Hey, I'm, I think I'm going to walk. But Corey, that's here, or is, or was he kind of like offering to like who well, who approached who at that I, point? I to pretty buy? much, uh, not. I mean, I pretty much put the deal together. So Jeremy had been complaining for years that he was working all the time, seven days a week, grinding with Corey because it was just basically the two eating of them, peanut butter and jelly, eating peanut butter and jelly, saving every nickel he ever had, making piles of money, not spending any of it. Um, but he was tired of all the work, and so he's like, "Man, I wish I could get out." And at the time. Jason was grinding away on Amazon and our eBay presence wasn't super big because Amazon, we were crushing it there. Yeah. And, and I'm like, Jeremy, I don't know. You guys are, you know, we're friends. We were all doing the same thing. If you guys put this together, you, you could work half as much and still do really well. Um, and we can leverage your expertise, which is a lot more on the back end, you know, and we can, and then we could, you know, obviously use Corey, who's amazing at a lot of, he's very talented at eBay platform and doing all the back end stuff as well as the retail. And then Jason's, you know, drive. It's like, why don't we just put all this together? And so finally one day he's like, well, what would that look like? And uh, I don't know. It's not written here on the wall anymore. It's it's over there somewhere. I use these big old, um, you know, office depot uh, easel pads. And I, yeah, and I write this all up and I'm like, well, here's kind of how I see it going. And so basically what we did is we, we merged the two companies together. But then when we got it set up, Jeremy didn't really like the fact that he had a minority position and Jason was in charge because Jason right. as awesome as he is. No one likes to work for Jason. Like nobody, there's not one. <laughs> I don't like working for Jason because he's a very driven racer. He's very competitive and he demands a lot. Like he oh, yeah. expects a lot out of himself. He expects a lot, maybe too much sometimes out of people. And so he's like, now he's in charge and Jeremy has no control. So literally probably like 45 days into this, like we're all sitting down, we That's launched right. bentlever.com. Yeah. You know, we had the guys up from uh, another e-commerce platform in the fishing space. were helping yeah. us just amazing groups of people. Jeremy's <laughs> like, well, I don't really like this arrangement anymore. I think I'm just going to retire. And I'm like, yeah. Uh, okay. And he's like, can you just kind of undo everything you just did? And I'll just, I'll just kind of go away. I'll just walk. Yeah. I'll just go away. And you guys can kind of, it was, it's not that we got it for nothing, but effectively we got a really good acquisition of that company and, well, I mean, it, and it allowed the building. I mean, yeah. it, we wouldn't, we wouldn't to buy this building. We were literally, I'll tell you this quick story. So we're, we're putting their business deal together. I write a bunch of stuff. We send it to an attorney. They sign off on it. They're at the bank. They exchange money. They sign the deal. And then they come buy this building and I'm back at our old warehouse and they go up to the bent lever location and they're like, Hey, they call me. And of course they're not working now because they're, they're excited. They're probably having a cocktail down at the shop. Yeah. And, uh, they're like, Hey, that building looks like it's still for sale. There's a sign going to go up out front. You should stop in there and talk to the owner. So I'm like, I got, man, I got like horse lessons with my kids. Like <laughs> it's like four 30. So I whip in here. I open the door. I come in. I, I knew the owner of the buildings that I talked to him once before I said, is your building still for sale? He goes, I'm about to list it. I go, what do you want for? And he goes X and I go, all right, well, we want it. And he's like, do you have X? I'm like, yeah, we got money. It's no problem. And he's like, all right. <laughs> so I call Jeremy and, and Jason on the phone. I go, listen, 
It's it's four fifty. The guy is going to give you ten minutes. He's leaving at five. I'm leaving at four fifty five, and you're three minutes away. Get down here. They walk in the door. I introduce him to the owner of the company. I'm like, I got to go. And then from there, we just basically, yeah, Jason was able to put together. I mean, it, that story is a long story too. It's a, it's a nightmare to do anything like this. But to your point, was what Don, we've done was Don still part of it? No, or is he out by now. So back up a little bit. <laughs> so when Jason pushed this ecom forward it became a different kind of a business than what Bentlab originally was. And so that was their agreement. So Jason wanted to launch into this e-com and Amazon stuff. And, and Don didn't really want to work the business because he has other companies. He was just investing in a bike shop, you know, for the upside potential that it would continue to just be a bike shop. Yeah. And so if, basically, long story short, we put him in a position where we were going to buy him out and he didn't really want to be bought out, but he didn't have much of a choice. And so he accepted the terms, which was great for everyone. Um, and uh, we borrowed that money from Jeremy because uh, that's what we do. And anyways, got that all done and uh, kind of just off and running. Don went off on his own ways. He's still obviously a great friend of ours, but it, it gave Jason the total control that he needed of 100% ownership instead of 50. And then basically what I did was I sold Jeremy a smaller percentage of the company from what Don owned for the same amount that we gave Don. So it all washed itself out in the end. And so, um, yeah, so Jason then retained 85% of it. And again, all that stuff is kind of just numbers and and percentages. At this point, Don, I mean, he's He's invested in with Preston though. Yeah. So he's down in California as much as he can. Yeah. He's got got his construction construction business. Like he didn't, he didn't want anything to do with the day-to-day operations of Bent Lebermore. He never did. He was just financially backing Jason. And so, yeah, he was happy as a clam to get out really. He made, you know, he made money and then he had Preston going. And at the time I was helping them out with that. I remember hanging out with, uh, so when me and Don raced the ball 1000 in 2010. Yep. uh, Hanging out with, I mean, what was Preston back in 2010? Like, I don't know. He's 18 now. Yeah. But I mean, he's just a little one, yeah, right? Four and, or five, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah he's and little. I remember we're down in Mexico and it's like, we're trying to get ready for the, you know, pre-running and I'm trying to get Don to like, he's so excited and just like, he's all, Don's always been a kid on a motorcycle. I had to tell him to calm down. Cause we're like, we're finally on the race bike, right? They don't allow you to do the first 30 miles out of Ensenada until basically it's like the day before contingency or race day, right? They finally open up that section. Oh, for pre-ride. Yeah. yeah. And so we just, Hey, let's take the race bike. We just want to, let's put 30 miles on it. Let's just make sure everything's good. And he is, I mean, basically he's Preston at, you know, Preston's first supercross, right? He's clutching the shit out of like rocks and and I had to like stopped on him. Like, dude, we have to race this bike for a thousand miles. Yeah. <laughs> Like, That's him in Hertzberg. Yeah. He just destroyed a motorcycle. Bump the brakes yeah, a little exactly. bit. Like, let's just, just short shift the thing. Let's put 30 miles on it. Let's make sure something's not going to fall off, you know, and then we'll change the oil and then we'll be off and, you know, racing. But, yeah, but it's funny. Like, I mean, that's just full circle, right? Like, because now Preston's just had his first Supercross. And, yep. like, you know, you've helped them out a lot, which just like, again, it's like the, the talk the talk, right? You can connecting people. I feel like I do the same thing. I'm like, Hey, this person's really good at this. This person's really good at this. Like, let's put them together. Well, and, like, you did. See yeah. I mean, off, and we you know? started with Preston at an early time. You helped us put together our first deal with Fox. Yeah. You know, cause remember he, he needed, we wanted Fox bad yeah. cause we wanted that head to toe Fox look yep. and you were the rep obviously at the time. Yep. And uh, it's still, but I'm just saying like that whole, the friendship got that deal done. Yeah. You know, putting that stuff together and then, yeah, with his, I mean, honestly, you should sit down and do a, uh, a podcast with Preston too. I mean, his story is, it's like every pro, right? I mean, not every pro, but it's it's similar in a lot of ways to how most of these kids get to where they are today. But the story of how they get to where they are now versus like how I was just thinking about this earlier, like rookies and like yeah, like what they get when they first get there. Like if you go to Formula One or you go to any other sport, like the rookie doesn't get anything, right? Like yeah. he gets the, the less quality parts yeah. and the veteran. But now 
by the time these kids get there, like the Deegans of the world and that they're, they're so far. I mean, they're, they're winning championships or rookie season. It's they're putting in so much work so early in their programs. And it's all about the connections and it's all about those relationships that when they actually get to the show, like the expectations are that they're just, there's no more expectation. Like, Oh, you're going to make you, maybe you'll make the main on your rookie season. No, you're, I mean, you're expected to be, you know, top 12, top 15. Right. Yeah. And they're able to do it. And so I was thinking about that. It was kind of a funny, um, I guess it's like our business or anything else or like the way the bikes are these days. Like things have changed so much now that if you, look at our business model today or what Jason's been able to do with Ben Lever Motorsports or what we've done with Golden Tire. And then you go back to when we started, which really wasn't that long ago. It's completely different as yeah. what it would be today to start this company and do it. Uh, I've, I mean, I've had a few conversations with people like new kids that start at the parts department or whatever. And I'm in there going, showing them the ropes of like, Hey, this is our new Fox boot or this is our new whatever. Right. And then, uh, they're into it. They're like pumped. Cause they're like working at a bike shop, which is still cool that kids are still pumped oh, yeah. on that. Right. It's not a lot of kids are, but there's still a few, right, that are excited about it. They want to learn. They, you know, they're stoked. I get pumped when I show people new gear and they're actually pumped to, like, receive the new, you know, like, see new stuff. Because I think uh, with the internet, everybody gets a little jaded, like, because everything is seen. Like, when there used to be the indie trade show, right, You everybody would go there and be like, that's where everything was, you know, that's where you see all the new stuff. Well, then yeah. it's like the internet. Everybody just, all the, every manufacturer just shows all the new stuff out of the way. That's how you launch it, right? Yeah. That, then you have a show or something. But, uh, um, but when I'm talking to like some of these kids, I remember I spent a bunch of time, sh- you know, showed this kid like a, how our new boot, new, you know, new helmet, et cetera. Right. And like helping them out. I come back, like, uh, kind of just BSing with him again, like another couple of times back by the shop. And he's like, uh, yeah, like, you know, this is great. Like I, I, uh, I want to do what you do. Like how long did it take to get you where you're at? And I started counting. I'm like, I think at the time it was like 18 years. <laughs> yeah. Next time I came back to the shop, he was gone. He was just like, I don't have enough time for that. <laughs> yeah. Like I said, they're, they're almost not real jobs. Like the job that you have working for Fox and what I've done with Golden Tire and Bent Lever. It's, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know that that's ever going to get reproduced the way that we came through and from like a very grassroots level and learned it all. Like I either, either they just don't have the, the patience or the time or the industry is just changed so much that I, I don't, I don't know. It, I think it's be just, hard to see it's it. different. I think there's new avenues to come through, right? Mm. Like we were more of the grind, like the grind that you had to put in your time as far as the physical, actual time. I think now the opportunities with like AI or the opportunities with some other type of, maybe it's, it's technology that we have that maybe we're not using it correctly or whatever it may be, you know, through all of that. But uh, you know, w- whatever that stuff is like, I think that's the new opportunity to to grow up, you know, or or to to kind of like expand in the business cuz a lot of the stuff that me and you are just talking about like the back and forths and all that, you know, of like, hey, we talked to this dude and then you connect that guy, that's just because we've all known each other for so long, right? And you're yeah. not you're not just reaching into like the piggy bank of like, you know, the moto industry, you're just pulling out a random name going, "Oh, this guy'll sponsor you or this guy'll help you build your company or whatever it is." It's like you you earn that like reputation of whatever it may be that you know, allows you to kind of like connect those, those things. Yeah. And so I guess the, the, you know, the, the thing is just like for the, the kids, it's just like, you know, you have to, even though it sucks, right. It's like, you're learning the next step, you know, you're learning that stuff. Or I always said like in school, I always wish they would have said like, Hey, I know you want to be a professional motocross rider, but you're still going to have to learn the finances I'm teaching you right now. If you plan on making all that money, yeah, <laughs> right? Exactly. I just assume I don't need to learn that math. I don't need to learn this other stuff. I just need to learn how to race a dirt bike, you know, yeah. but in life, you're still going to use all of those things. Well, it's another interesting thing. Like it, 
I guess getting a little older, I kind of give up, you know, there's times where you give up on the youth and you're like, Oh my God, these kids today, like getting old. But I will say this, there's some shining stars. Like one of the guys that works at our company now, like he came in and, you know, we had him sweeping the floors, right? Old school Anderson cycle style. Yep. Sweep the floor, take out the trash, do all that stuff. Well, pretty soon you stand there and we're like, okay, we, now we kind of need you to do something else because we're growing. Right. So, you know, fast forward, like, I don't think he's even been here. It used to take two years to make a parts counter guy. Like two years was the standard yeah. before you could function on that parts counter. I mean, he's receiving all the freight. He's labeling all the products. He's counting bins. I mean, he's doing a tremendous amount of stuff. And he's, uh, I think he's 18 now, but when he started, he was like 16, right? Yeah. So he's been here for a little bit over a year, I think. And uh, it really gives me hope, right? And I, so I think, yeah. I think we especially myself, like you get a little older and you're like, Oh man, you know, everything's changed so much, but really it hasn't gotten harder though. It's actually, I think it's gotten easier. Like you said, or there's new channels for people to get in the industry and, and, uh, and the industry's not as complicated anymore either because it's basically the information is out there and the consumers either know it or there's there's, easier to get. Yeah. There's easier. Fitment is easier, right? Like you don't have to be that old school flip open the catalog anymore. Now, heck you just type in your bike and it pretty much tells you every air filter that's going to fit your motorcycle and their part numbers and stuff. Yep. And so those are the things that weren't there. You actually had to like have that stuff memorized. Like yeah. when I started me and I remember this specifically, we knew the OEM part numbers for all the components for a CR 125 top end, like a one, two, two, five, one KZ four, seven twenty was a head gasket. Right? Yeah. I still know that stupid <laughs> stuff, but you had to know that. And they didn't have a kit. You had to go pull both power valve cover gas. Yep. It's the right side one, the piston, the rings, the clip, the pin, the bearing, and we stocked all that stuff. And so now it's a kit, right? So yep. it's all been kitted together, um, you know, either aftermarket or OEM. So yeah, the wrench rabbit full engine. Or even OEM Honda. Like Honda got smart. And they're like, let's just offer a piston kit because everyone else is doing it now. So here it is all in one part number. And so, yep. like I said, it's not that it's really gotten harder. It's actually, I think, gotten a little bit easier. And younger people understand the technology better than, you know, obviously than I do. And so it, it's pretty amazing to see where this industry is going to go in the next couple of years, I really think, or maybe say the next five to 10 yeah. years. Yeah. So, it, and with saying that, there's somebody that's had their notebook out listening to this the whole time, and they're going like, ooh, eBay, Amazon. Yeah. Like, that eBay, <laughs> Amazon equals big building. Like, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it does. Yeah, it does. It's super easy. <laughs> I, I have those conversations a lot with dealers. They're like, oh, we'll just sell on, these, or on Amazon or eBay or whatever, you know, channel, you know, like a e-com channel is that way. But... The reality of it is there's I what I always tell dealers or tell other people that think that it's like a get rich quick scheme is that you have to have a minimum of like four to five people that are that's the only thing that they do is shipping, receiving, you know, oh, yeah. building, you know, processes. And, you know, it's I mean, not it's not like posting something on Facebook Marketplace while you're drinking a beer at home and it's your extra wheels for your truck. You know, yeah, it's even a little bit more than that, too. Though. I think I think it's also about timing and opportunity because it's very what we're good at doing or what I would say we're good at doing, in my opinion, is we're very dynamic in our approach to business. And so it's about opportunities and looking at them and seeing them coming yeah. before anyone else does. Right. And that's why the power sport industry is like the wild west yeah. because you have a whole bunch of cowboys out there, entrepreneurs running around running bike shops and everybody's doing everything a little bit different and they're looking for opportunities. So when you go to e-com or like third party, like eBay or Amazon, the reason that we're successful on Amazon is not something that anyone else would be able to do today. Because yeah. the opportunities that were there, COVID, yeah, right. manufacturers, Fox, Fly, all of them, the the kind of real, just before COVID, kind of the pullback of everybody in the industry and in, in this kind of glutton of inventory. And then the massive consumption that happened with COVID and all yeah. the money and all the, you know, the only thing you could really do for fun was something outside. And so the, our industry just rocked. Well, it's and new, at the it's time, new we, product, too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. If it's not on Amazon, 
yeah. or eBay, right? Yeah. And it's a new product, and you're the brand that your company that brings it to that, you know, to that platform. That's yep. where it was at too. So it's hard yeah. to it's hard for somebody else to just be like, oh no, they're selling it. I'm going to get it. You know? oh, yeah. I mean, we were building listings for Fly. We were building listings for Fox on Amazon. They didn't even know what it. They didn't even know how to do it. Like they literally, yeah. like they could not do some of the things that we were able to do. And so what my point is is it's a lot about timing. And it's about opportunities and seeing them coming, and then being fortunate enough to either have the resources or the people around you or the connections to make it work. I mean, I, I mean, we were doing, we, it was myself and Jason and one other guy, Chris Miskell. And when COVID came and the three of us were working seven days a week, about 15 hours a day, shipping product off that back counter because we were an essential business. So we were open because yeah. we're in transportation, right? <laughs> Which seems strange to say, but it's true. And, and everyone else was at home. They were, I mean, the world was buying over, shit. but they were buying stuff. Yeah. And, uh, and I had a really good friend from high school that was a mid-level guy at Amazon and I could reach out to him and say, Hey, theoretically, like this is what we're seeing. And he could, he couldn't really speak to it so much, but he could give us some insight. And so again, could anybody do what we did? No, because the timing, it was now. a different, it was yeah, a time. It was time. an opportunity that was there that doesn't exist today. Now it's, as you know, we have these conversations all the time, but it's a very it's a very different environment on Amazon and eBay. So, but I think it's, I think that's business in general. And I think in the power sport industry, what's cool is that what we're seeing, which I'm mostly excited about is we're kind of seeing the return to the core shops. We're getting yeah. back to brick and mortar yep. where people are. Yeah, sure. You can go buy your, you can buy your Jersey and your gloves online, but if you really want to know what's going on or how to work on your bike or some recommendations, some information, um, you still, you're starting to see people go back to those core shops and the people that are still there at some of the key shops like Van Lever Motorsports. And I, I mean, I go as far as to say uh, pretty much a lot of the dealers in your, your little territory around the Portland market, there's a lot of really good shops that have core people still in them. Yep. Um, and I'm seeing that return. And I think that's what's grassroots level. Also bringing back, like, you know, you're going to see, I think this year at PIR, you're going to see big turnouts at Washougal, mm-hmm. you know, Woodland's done really well this winter. And I think people are kind of getting back to that. Um, and it's exciting to me because that's where we started. Like that's exactly. where, I mean, the e-commerce stuff's cool. Yeah. We have a cool building, but it's not fun. It's not right. fun doing, you know, 200 returns on a Monday. It's not fun. Uh, what, what was, what that. was like the high end Monday shipping, like orders shipping out in back in those COVID days. You remember any of those? Oh, like, like I, I don't know. I mean, how then, many orders? it was probably only like four or 500, but that about killed us. I mean, we were running <laughs> wide open. You you tell the Four cutoff. Five hundred days. Yeah. Trying to stall the FedEx guy for an extra five minutes because you still had those packages. Go lay in the road. <laughs> and then once to what it is today, like at the peak time, let's say holiday time. I mean, it could be as high as thirteen hundred, fourteen hundred items on a on Monday. like a Monday. Yeah, yeah. And that doesn't count any of the stuff that we're sending through our other fulfillment channels. Yeah. So yeah, it's. But you take three, three, four people and try to push five hundred orders off a day. I mean, it's a lot. And we were in a little three thousand square foot place where there was one point six feet to walk by each other. I mean, it was right. a mess, right? But uh, but the opportunity was there, and we were willing to put in the effort, so it, it allowed us to grow rapidly. Um, yeah, and I'd say the same thing with Golden Tire. I, I, really, it's the same with any business. Golden Tire gave us opportunity to be a distributor. Well, who's who is Jason Matheny and Dax? I mean, who are these guys out here in the right. West Coast, right? And they always the they still to this day like, oh, you guys are just little shopkeepers, right? Because they, right. they always say it funny because they're from Italy. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm not really just a little shopkeeper, guys. Like, I, I manage your brand for North America, and we put every tire we can put on every doorstep in America in three days or less. Like, that's pretty cool to think about. Right. How we got it there, yeah, it was luck, opportunity, and everything else, and some some good relationships. But um, yeah, I, I don't know. I laugh a lot about what we've been able to do, and that's why I think this is really fun. Is uh, and like what you've been able to do in your career. Yeah. You know, now that you're at Fox for what. 
10, how many years? Almost, have been it'll be almost 12 years. Yeah. 12 years. In yeah. April. Yeah. And you know, there was a day when you were, you and James were, you know, running, going to, you know, frat parties with Rockstar and sit in the back of my dirt bike shop, working on your Kellex 110s, eating chickens. Well, you know? the Rockstar days. <laughs> you know, and get the chicken the, from Fred Meyer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for lunch and just putting it in Dave's uh, toolbox. The oh, yeah, for later. oh yeah. For later. Oh yeah. The box. <laughs> but I mean, like, if you think about what we we're able to do as a three wheeler ride, the three wheeler ride out and well, what's that? The carp? Car, CarMax now, or what is that CarMax or whatever Carmax, it is over yeah. there? I bought that three-wheeler, that 110 Honda ATC. The Adventures of Professor James and Captain yep. Joe. See, that was another yeah. That was another one. Like, you know, so I started this podcast 13 years ago. Mm-hmm. Back then, nobody knew what a podcast was. I remember putting it out. People were like, I have to, like, stream this thing. How do you stream something when you're driving down the road? Like, I don't have enough, like, minutes on my my, my yeah my first iphone or whatever it was yeah. your your flip phone or whatever you know um and then now obviously the again world is di- different like you know it's kind of like and that was kind of one of the reasons i was like i don't know if i really want to get back into the podcast like cause, cause everybody has a podcast right that yeah. type of thing but i like it for being able to like just have these conversations it's cool for people to hear especially in the northwest like like uh stories from like you know shops or riders or whatever it is you know track owners things like that um but it's like uh, this this full circle like fun thing you know that's that's able to like kind of bring everybody together and and that me and james started doing the professor the adventures of professor james and captain joey that was a vlog yeah we didn't even know what a vlog was back then we we're just like let's film a bunch of stuff and put it on youtube because we were bored driving around to all these events with Rockstar and we just wanted something to kind of keep us entertained. So we'd like video, like coming to your shop and like we're dropping off product, but now we're going to go ride three wheelers around or we're going to do this mini bike race. or We're going to this car event or we're going to, you know, party at some college or something, you know, and park the RV in, in a, you know, frat houses. <laughs> front yard or, you know, whatever it is. I just remember know? having so much Rockstar product in my house, in my <laughs> bike shop in my car that one day we were out shooting guns and we we're like we don't have any targets I'm like i have like literally cases of rockstar in the back of the van so we, oh, were, dude, we were shooting full cans of rockstar le- just for fun at least like once uh i don't know a month somebody's text me with like a photo of something rockstar related see there's something that they still have or them still buying it going like it's because of you yeah exactly <laughs> i remember i remember the worst hundreds of thousands of dollars uh, i remember the worst trick ever you finally like you could you only sampled all the weird new flavors i'm like i like original joey i only want original one day you came in, like i got you two cases of original this is like the holy grail I'm like thank you so much and i remember i was like super hot and i grabbed one out of the fridge and i cracked it and i took a drink and i thought i died <laughs> Cause I had no idea what I had just consumed and it, like, it was not the sweet yumminess that I was expecting. It was, it was water yep. and, and, and at the time you didn't tell me, but I was like, there's something wrong with this. I'm going to die. But you were like, no, that's what we give all the, uh, yeah, it's, like, we call concert. it, we call it tour water, tour water. So yeah. it was just branding for like the people that are, you know, up on stage, stage hands, or even the bands at that point when they were drinking it, you know, they, I wonder the athletes like on the podium, like are they, I mean, I know a lot of times they have oh, yeah. a water ball now, but that's what they have, right? It's well, all, yeah. it's, they're so, not so, drinking, obviously yeah. drinking. Or it, it could podium. be mostly water. Like when, um, when, uh, James, when he turned into the athlete manager, it was funny because 
he, I remember him going to convenience stores, buying the 24-ounce twist tops because at the time they wanted those on the podium, right? Yeah. Like he's given Dungy a twist top because something happened with the ones that he needed that he had bought at a convenience store in whatever city he's in, poured it all out, like washed it out, filled it full of water so he had the right, correct can that they wanted branded or whatever it was, yeah. you know, on the podium, you know. But, but yeah, it's basically it's the same same concept. It's just tour, you know, we called it tour water when it started there at the all the music tours and stuff that we were on yeah. um tra- traveling around but but i just think back like that like the i mean those were vlog- everybody has a vlog right that's how you know these people are making millions of dollars on youtube and we were just doing it for fun like you know of course now you couldn't do i mean we were using whatever music like we'd reach out to bands they would send us a compact disc <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And then we, that's the music, you know, that we would use for whatever, you know, episode it was and then, you know, cruising around. But it's funny because I look back and, you know, like I have, it was, you know, it's the first time I learned how to backflip, you know, a mini bike was an episode, you know, we went yeah. over to Justin Homan's house and like learned how to do it, you know. And then I look back, I'm like, God, I was a baby. Yeah. <laughs> you we, know, there was a lot of first back then. We, I, I mean, really, idiot. we were racing pit bikes, you know, the early like 2000, 2001, if you yeah. remember when it was a CR50 game still at the time, or actually it was XR50, but then the 110 Cowie came out. We all had KLX yep. 110. So there was a lot of, during that whole era of, you know, knowing you. And, and I think, so yeah, we knew each other. We had to, we knew each other way before. Well, so I was trying to remember all because of, three two one moto and my and back then we we're running pit bikes. You guys, you were involved in all that three two one uh, Debrino Sa- and his dad, Salem yeah. uh, Arena Cross, yep. and it's it's crazy because I always say like I always try to keep moving because it keeps me young, right? But I always all you know you ride with a group of people. Then a few of them are like, oh, we're getting too old for this. So the the group kind of dwindles down. So then you turn around, you look at the younger crowd below you, and then you merge back over there. And you're like, hey, you guys want to ride? They're like, fuck yeah. yeah. <laughs> so then you ride with those people. But there's so many people that know me from different eras of mini biking or, you know, moto for that one. But there's the mini bike crowd, just a different dynamic. Cause yes. there's a lot of people at mini bike don't even race, you know, full size bikes, especially in those certain areas. So yeah, you go back to early on like three, two, one moto, or then you go back to dude, Salem arena cross, or, uh, I mean, dude, hindsight, there was, remember hindsight, dude, there was some races I would make like, Shit, three grand racing a mini bike, yeah. racing a one ten. But I remember we would go down to do Salem Arena Cross. We'd have like a couple of classes of mini bikes, and do everybody roll down there, do mini bike action. We, you know, we called it like the Rockstar Mini Bike Series or something like that. There would be almost as many trucks with mini bikes in it as there was trucks with like full size bikes, yeah. right? And then it ended up being just a mini bike night. And then we would go down. We'd use our connections with Rockstar for like the local like clubs down in in wherever i remember specifically one in salem and i remember couldn't tell you where it is now but i remember there was a full club dance floor in there and there was like a vip room with the you know stripper pole and the whole thing you know and like it was just free drinks for everybody and there's i think sylvie which is another person that's been around forever right sylvie would be the photographer for all that's who we took with us on you know to, to mexico for for baja but he was always there and there's photos of me on this dance floor there's videos doing of burn yeah, there's a video? a video of that yeah you want a 110 <laughs> or something just doing, doing burnouts, burnouts on the dance floor, floor like and all, all, everybody's getting pissed because i'm in there doing cookies or doing whatever but that was that was like the salem arena cross mm-hmm. mini bike day era. oh then, remember clark county we had with the lane and then yep. she couldn't do anything with sunday so like i think it was me and you probably at the same time we're like well we'll rent sunday and we did a yep. mini bike thing and pretty soon we had what like 80 people show up for a mini bike yep. only event on yep. a sunday and it then awesome. it goes to uh 
I'm tr- I'm trying to think of all of the private indoors that we've done now too, because there's there's the where was it? I'm trying to remember where it was. It was just north of here, not too long, but there was an outdoor that was uh, we put up a bunch of IntelliKey banners with uh, with uh, Chris McCann's yeah. IntelliKey company. Cheddar was just there. talking about Cheddar. Bob was talking about this the other day. There there was an indoor up here that you guys used to run. And Aaron was just saying the other day about that, and I don't remember that one. But there was a whole bunch. It was, of, yeah, it was off SR five. Well, now yeah. I'm just I'm saying Intelliki though. But then we I remember doing mini bike races down at Intelliki, like yep. down behind and down in the field down there, and then all the way up to I mean even the ones that we called at Mount Hood Arena Cross, but up at Barnes's place. Still to this day, people think that's my house. Yeah, it's not my house. <laughs> like there's people that are mad that I didn't invite them to my party at my house that wasn't at my house and wasn't my party <laughs> the christmas one the santa ones yeah the yeah. santa mini bike yeah. you know <laughs> yeah. but that's it's just a but scenario you know but it's also like you know like you're the 125 dream race i mean if you think about it like that's that's pretty much everything summarizes everything you just talked about people know you from all different eras and that that event's been going and then like you go there and your dad's there and i think that's the coolest part because yeah. he's still got he's got no shoes on ever barefoot always. barefoot <laughs> and he's got a he's still got the 95 zero and 25 he's got some old golden tire from forever ago that he got from us years ago but he still comes out and brings dirt biking from the real true old world you know yeah. that old time and then you have you and then you know your kids and stuff now and then jason and his kids are racing a pir and my girls do horses so that doesn't count but it's like what well, what a good life, you know, what a good life in the motor oh, yeah. industry. It's been, it's been a wild ride for 20 plus years. And, uh, yeah, it's not even, I think about it every day. Like, I don't feel like we have real jobs. Yeah. I mean, I've, I bullshit with my wife about that. I mean, it's, it's, I think it's the reason why you think that is because, and I'd say again, I, I'll say it again. Like we get paid to do what people pay to do. And it's basically in the sense of like, people just assume that the motorcycle industry is just, that's what it is. It's just, everybody's just playing around like, you know, but there's still, like we've talked about, there's still these business deals going down. There's still everything in and out of, of either the the parts counter, the service department selling motorcycles. I mean, I mean, you guys aren't a dealer. Like that's, you know, that's a whole nother side to get into like an actual quote unquote dealership. You know, you're dealing with like a major OEM. Yeah. Right? We did that with the Omaha though. When yeah. I got, when I was well, yeah, action, the other yeah, side. That, well, yeah. And yeah. then back into pro caliber and yeah. a little bit, but as far as on the private, like not corporate side, but, um, but no, it's, it's, it's been great. And I always just say like, it's, uh, you know, you're, you're thankful to be able to like continue moving through like all this stuff and everybody's still laughing and having a good time. And, and to your point, like, you know, the families are starting to show up and, you know, our hair keeps getting grayer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, mine is for sure. Well, cool. We'll have, we'll have to do another one of these. Yeah. We'll have to do another one about uh, RC cars and the, yeah. the carnage there and actually like a little bit more racing rather than, than business. But it was good. Yeah. I, think, I think people will be pumped to hear the story of Bent Lever. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Thanks, man.